Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm very excited because we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit today. And I'm glad that a few of you are excited along with me. Everyone gets a little apprehensive. We start talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We had a, an awesome time last week where we had a guest speaker, Pastor Joel, share a word with us that was very simply entitled, God is with us. And I love that simple truth that God is with us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're up against, no matter if we are in the midst of the, the Jordan River being parted on both sides or we're in the heights of, of the experience of being with God, God is with us. And when we know that He is with us, we know that He has called us and equipped us. And what this means is that we get to walk in a new reality. We get to walk in a new understanding of what it means to be a human, what it means to be a son, to be a daughter, to know that while we walk this earth that we have been equipped. And equipped is the word that I keep going back to for this series because we have been equipped. We have been equipped by God to do something that we would never ever be able to do on our own. And, and to me, the more that we talk about these things, the more that it should build a sense of excitement within us for what he's calling us to do. So I want to talk about the word equipped for a second, because when I use the word equipped, uh, I think we all have a fairly good understanding of what it means. But the definition of being equipped very simply is that we have been supplied with all that we need in order to carry out what we've been called to do. We've been supplied with all that we need. We have been equipped to fulfill the calling that we have talked about in the, the months leading up to this. And this is an incredible truth. It's a beautiful thing to know that we have been equipped, but we also have to know how we have been equipped. So in John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says these words, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's two things in this verse. Number one, there is the Spirit of God. And number two, it is what he is bringing to our remembrance, the Word of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. The Word that has been spoken, the Word that has been given to us, and the Holy Spirit who takes that Word, brings it to life, and activates it in our lives. It's, it's what it means to be equipped is that we have not just the word, but the empowerment of the spirit that goes along with it. Then we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Some of this is recap here today, but once again, when the Holy Spirit comes, there is going to be power. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is the dunamis power of God. This is the word that was uh, referred to when Jesus would perform a miracle, when he would walk in the power that opened up the blind eyes and the deaf ears. There was the dunamis 
power of God that was present. And Jesus said that when you receive the helper, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are going to experience the dunamis power of God. The miraculous, powerful deeds and marvelous works of God. So once again, we have not just been called, but we have also been equipped. We've been called and we have been equipped. When we use this uh, word equipped, I was just thinking back to one of my previous jobs. I talk about it every once in a while. It's the brown truck and the brown uniform. And I remember working that job and I was going to be going from working inside to being a driver. So from loading the trucks to actually driving the trucks. And I remember getting on the truck and looking around and seeing this mountain of packages thinking, how do they expect me to know where to go and to bring this to the right place? Like I can understand picking up a box and walking it down someone's driveway. That's not a big deal. But how do I know where to go? How am I going to know what to do? And what they did from the beginning is they gave me a brown uniform. They gave me keys to a truck. They gave me a little computer they call a dyad. And I got on the truck, and then very shortly after, there was a supervisor that came on with me. And what I realized is that I had actually already been equipped to do everything that I needed. I had everything, but I just needed someone to walk through the process with me. I needed someone to show me what it meant to do what I had been called to do. And it's funny, I look back to that time at UPS, and, and I remember some of these moments of like, I don't know what I'm doing out here, but... I know I'm going to figure it out. And and as long as I have the ability to trust somebody, it's going to be a lot easier. And so when we talk about being equipped and we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, what we have to realize is that when we said yes to Jesus, He gave us all that we needed in order to be obedient to what He's called us to do. And now we get to walk through this process of walking with Him and allowing him to show and to reveal and, and to give us the ability to discover what it means to walk in the fullness of what he's already made possible. We have been equipped to walk in something pretty amazing. You see, when we read Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, we also just reinforce this idea that we have not been placed here on earth just to figure it out. That we've not been called to do something and then just left on our own. Romans 8 verses 10 and 11 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And it's with this confidence and it's with this understanding that we realize that we are not alone on this earth. That our mortal bodies, that our shortcomings, that all the things that make us frail humans, right? There is that reality. But then when we understand that the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence inside of us, When we realize this truth, we realize that there is a new reality that we are called to walk in. And so the question we have to ask after reading a scripture like this is what does it actually mean to walk in the new reality of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? 
In Romans 8, Paul speaks about this. He says, basically, when we understand who we are in Christ, when our mind is fixed on the new reality of who we are in Him, we begin to think and we begin to live according to that spirit that lives inside of us. I think sometimes we just need to simplify this. If we understand that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, if we give Him access, then it means that our thinking and our perception, and then as a result of those things, our actions begin to look differently because He is present with us. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there's just certain times where we're around certain people and we act a little bit differently. Hopefully we acted a little differently in front of our parents and showed a little more respect than we were when we were out doing other things. Well, hopefully it was the same both places, but you get what I mean. Like there, there are times where we, we act differently because someone else is present with us. Do we understand that when the Holy Spirit took residence inside of us, that he is present with us and there should be a difference in the way that we act and respond and live life because he's there. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to think differently. We need to act differently. We need to live according to the reality of the Spirit living inside of us. But sometimes this is where we recognize that we, we tend to come up a little bit short. We understand conceptually that the Holy Spirit is present, but we fail to see what it is to live life empowered by that Spirit. It would kind of be like if we were playing a basketball game and we were up against a really tough opponent. And then we decided that even though we had Michael Jordan sitting on the bench, that we were going to play this game alone, that we were going to try to figure it out on our own. Like we know the Holy Spirit is present, but sometimes we just leave him over there on the bench to the side because we have decided that we're going to figure out how to make this, this work. Who knows it's a little bit foolish to leave the power behind and to try to do it on our own. There was a commercial, it's still on, it's like a, I think an insurance commercial, and there's a Little League baseball team, and the team is down by a couple runs, and they're like, okay, we need to bring up our best hitter. Let's go, Derek. And Derek stands up, and then he realizes that there's another Derek standing behind him, and it's Derek Jeter. And he's like, oh, no, no, I was referring to Derek Jeter. We need to understand that no matter what it is that we're coming up against, that we have the greatest power in all of the universe living inside of us. It's about time that we stopped leaving him on the bench. But why does this often happen? A couple weeks ago, we pointed to three specific reasons, and I think they're, they're worth repeating today. Number one, often we don't know exactly what's available to us. We might know it in theory, but we don't know that it's actually ours. Number two, we don't even know where to begin in discovering the empowerment of the Spirit. We haven't actually been taught. We haven't looked at it. And so there's, there's a feeling of just uncertainty. And then number three, there's this other reason where, that sometimes we're like, well, that's just like walking according to the Spirit, being powered by the Spirit. That's just for like the spiritual elite, that's for the super spiritual people that wake up at three o'clock in the morning and they pray and they intercede and they fast and they do all the things right. That's for them. I'm just going to kind of take whatever is left over. I want us to quickly eliminate one and three here today 
Number one being that we don't know that it's available to us. Time and time again, we keep saying this. If we have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus, if we have received him into our hearts, if we have come to the understanding that we are now in Christ, we have to know what's available to us. And number three, it's not that it's only for a few that get to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. It's only for the, for the spiritual, like, exceptional that they get to do this. It's only for the people on staff. No, if Jesus died for me, he died for you. He died for the person next to you. He has empowered us all through his grace, through his goodness, through the power of what he accomplished on the cross. So every one of us, when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to the empowerment and the equipping that comes from knowing him. We have to understand these things. And so maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe, it's just that we haven't taken the time to learn about it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking um, through a couple passages, and specifically we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 14. This is a pretty extensive list that Paul gives the church of Corinth about walking in the Spirit, and it's not the only place that we find this, but this is where we're going to be starting with here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is a pretty extensive list, isn't it? It's easy to look at this list and be like, okay, that, there's a lot going on there. And we're going to take our time to, to look through many of these gifts, some in more depth than others. But today I want to start in the book of Acts, which is just after Jesus has died and rose again and he's ascended back into heaven. And I want to look at the specific gift here today, starting today and likely extending into next week, which is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is probably the most maybe misunderstood or hard to conceive gift, I think, in addition to speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues that we read about in the scripture. It's one that we've all probably encountered on some level or seen or heard of. It's something that has been used effectively to build up the body of Christ and also something that has been abused at times. We've seen that as well. But we have to understand here, when we're talking about prophecy, we're talking about something that God has given as a gift to his church, which is essential, necessary, something that shouldn't just be like, okay, we, we are glad that prophecy exists, but something that we are actually meant to walk in and to operate in. And so we're going to start with prophecy here today, and starting in the book of Acts, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. 
just to set the stage, this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven. He speaks to his disciples. He says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. There is going to be the gift that I have given you. The Holy Spirit comes and falls upon them as they're in the upper room. We call it the day of Pentecost. That's where we get the term Pentecostal, the kind of church that we are. This has already happened. And now Peter is standing up and he is going to, filled with the Holy Spirit, speak to those who have gathered around him. And guess what comes out of this? Prophecy. Okay, so it's really important that we see that. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He's quoting the prophet Joel, and he says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So one of the very first things that the Holy Spirit brings to the remembrance of Peter as he stands in front of these individuals who all think they're crazy because they're speaking in unknown tongues, the first thing that the Holy Spirit brings Peter back to is that there is going to be prophecy when the Spirit of God is poured out on some of the flesh, on all flesh. There is this emphasis that's given right away by the Spirit of God. Now I think Peter gets a bad rap sometimes. I think he was probably still a pretty smart guy. He was following Jesus, paying attention. But it was the Holy Spirit that brought this passage from Joel to his remembrance. There is going to be prophecy. My spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. And there is something very significant about this. So let's just look at prophecy for a second. We're going to take kind of an introductory approach to prophecy today. We'll get a little bit deeper as we go. But prophecy, very simply defined, is to reveal something by divine inspiration. To prophesy is to communicate something that has been revealed through the Holy Spirit and to then talk about it. It's the ability to come into an awareness of what God is saying and doing and then to communicate it. That's what it is to prophesy. So there is this awareness that God is always working. He's always moving. And what we're doing is even in our natural, right, state here on this earth, our spirit is connecting to a greater reality. We're we're being given the ability to perceive what he's saying. And then we're taking that and we are speaking it. Simple definition, right? Everybody still with me? Okay. So to prophesy is to be able to connect to something. And when we start, not to connect to something, to connect to God, to connect to his revelation. I just want to be clear about that. So when we look at the Bible and we look at prophecy and we go to the very beginning, we see that prophecy was present from the very start of humanity. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3, once again, pretty much in the beginning, But at the point that we pick up this story, we see that the enemy has appeared to man and to woman, to Adam and to Eve. He questions the reality of God and what he has really said. Did God really say they eat from the fruit? And we know that at that moment, sin enters the world. Authority has been forfeited. And now God shows up and he is going to speak. And this is the first prophecy that's really given. And and he speaks to the serpent first of all. And he speaks a curse over the serpent. 
And he says, from this point forward, you're going to crawl on your belly. There is going to be enmity between you and, and mankind. We're going to get back to that in a second. He speaks to Eve. He says, from this point forward, there's going to be pain in childbirth. And this is going to continue through the generations. He speaks to Adam and he says, from this day forward, you're going to toil. You're going to have to have a great burden in order to bring food out of the ground. You're going to have to support yourself. And, and so it's this really incredibly low point. It's likely the lowest point in all of humanity where God has created perfection and they have forfeited it and they've given it up so quickly. And so God is coming and he's saying, these are the results. This is what's going to happen. But there's this moment in the midst of all of this that God speaks something very significant. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Once again, this is when God is speaking to the serpent. He said, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is significant because, once again, this is in the middle of God speaking this word of correction, like this is what has happened. And yet, in the middle of this moment, the lowest point in human history, God is speaking prophetically about what would come when Jesus came to the earth and would restore all that had been broken. Even in the midst of this low moment, God is speaking to them and he's, and he's saying to the enemy, listen, you're going to bruise his heel. There's going to be this temporary moment in history where you think that you have overcome me, God, through my son Jesus, where he's going to die on the cross. But even though you're going to bruise his heel, he is going to crush your head. There is going to be this moment where you realize that you really messed up and it was this temporary victory that you had received, but now the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to restore all that had been broken and forfeited. This to me is a beautiful picture of prophecy right from the very beginning. Because yes, there is this low moment, there is all of this devastation, all of the pain and the hurt and all the things that were introduced in the world, but in the midst of it, God is still speaking and pointing to a future that he has provided, that he has made possible through what Jesus would do. The offspring of the woman being fully man and being the offspring of God being fully God, that he would come and bring the victory. It's a really important thing for us to see when we're looking at prophecy because it points back to the nature of God. That even in the midst of man's failure, he was pointing us back to a place to see his goodness, his provision, and his ability to restore. For each one of us, prophecy is meant to be something that brings our attention and our perception to a higher reality. It's meant to take our eyes off of the current situation, whether it was self-inflicted or the result of something else, and to point back to the God who is all-powerful. The God who loves us, the God who knows us, the God that has created us for a purpose. And we really do see this as we look through the Bible, that as God shows up to various individuals, as he shows up to Noah, as he shows up to Moses, as he shows up to Abraham, that he speaks in the midst of a situation that looks one way and he speaks an entirely different reality. 
He speaks to Moses who is meant to bring the children of Israel out of slavery. He speaks to Abraham who has no children in his old age and tells him there is going to be generations that are going to come out of him. He looks at the situation that they're facing and then he speaks a different reality. This is who God is and and this is the precedent that he sets. That God in relationship directs our attention to a greater reality than we have the ability to comprehend. See, this is really important for us to see. Because I think sometimes prophecy receives kind of a, a scary reputation. I don't know about any of you, but there were times where I was a kid in church and I knew the prophet was coming in to speak that day. And I would start to go back and to replay all the things that I had done wrong that week. Really as far back as I could kind of remember. I would start to repent and try to like clean the slate before the prophet came in because he was going to call and he was going to read my thoughts and call me out of everybody and, and correct me and expose my deepest, darkest secrets. By the laughter, I guess I'm not alone maybe in that. But the thing is, is that that is not what prophecy really is. Now, it's not to say that there isn't correction or can't be correction in prophecy. I want to make sure that I make that clear. When we read through the Bible and we see prophecy being used, it's often because the children of Israel have fallen away from God. They have, they have not followed through with what he had called them to do. They said, you know, Moses, whatever God tells us to do, that's exactly what we're going to do. And then they fall short and God comes back and and speaks that they're going to be in exile or they're going to be imprisoned or they're going to lose this battle or whatever it's going to be. But yet always in the midst of the prophecy and the word being spoken, there's always this, this not just glimmer of hope, but this promise that God brings in the midst of the situation. Like you guys missed it. You screwed up. You fell short. You served other idols. This is the result. But guess what? There will be a day where I am going to restore you, redeem you, take you out of the place where you were, and bring you back to the perfection or the image that I have for you and the call that I have placed on your life. This is what we have to see about prophecy. We have to understand that it is a reflection of the nature of God because it's what God is speaking. Which means that we have to understand who He he really is. There is the God of the universe who knew exactly what was stolen and what was broken. And yet he's the only one that can bring us to that place of restoration. That place where he's able to take that which has been damaged and perverted and to to make it right. Prophecy is meant to bring us to a greater reality. To understand what he's saying. I think it's so important once again that we look at the nature of God and we understand who he is and this is what helps us also to to judge prophecy to understand if it's god saying it or not and we're going to talk more about that this week i don't mean to keep throwing out a couple of teasers for next week but what we have to understand is the nature of god and if we get too far into one reality or to the other then what happens is that how we interpret what he's saying begins to be affected by who we see him to be You see, God is 100% sovereign, king, judge, Lord over all. God has a standard and he will not lower it and he cannot violate it. There, there is, it's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is a God of justice. 
And so we have to understand that that is absolutely true about God. But if that's all that we understand about God, our perception of God is going to be based out of the places where we feel like we haven't measured up. We have to also understand that God is our perfect Father, that He's a God of love, that He's a God of restoration and healing and grace, that He loves us and He knows us. And because of that, because He is a God of justice and He's a God of love, it it doesn't mean that He changed His idea on what sin was. It's that He brought a solution forward so that that which was broken would now be covered by the blood of Jesus. And now we walk in the reality of God being sovereign and being Lord and being holy, completely holy with nothing missing, no, no place of brokenness. And that out of that place, though, that he had brought the salvation that comes from Christ and Christ alone. We have to understand this full picture of God if we are going to hear what he's saying with clarity. But if we get too far down one road or too far, far down the other, we, we tend to misalign what he's saying. We need to know the truth of, of who he is. We need to know the truth of John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's a good word. We have to understand who he really is and, and, and really pursue that that greater understanding as we are pursuing his voice to hear what he's saying to us. So we know that God spoke throughout the Bible, but it wasn't just that he spoke, that it, it wasn't just that he needed to keep this ability to speak all to himself, but that he appointed those who would speak on his behalf. These were called prophets. And we see throughout the Old Testament, you know, starting there, we see uh, prophets like Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and so many more. We, we have 17 books in our, in our Bible that are called the prophetic books where God is speaking through these individuals. But the thing that we have to see is that there is a difference between Old Testament and New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant. And... I want to be very specific because there's a lot to go into. The prophetic voices of that time were speaking the words that were going to be Scripture. There, there was the voice of God speaking to direct nations and to direct them to what they were going to do. There was something in, in prophecy in the Old Testament that was very significant. But what I want us to see here today is that in that time, the way that prophecy occurred was because the Spirit of God would visit and rest upon people. That many times throughout the Old Testament, and I'll, I'll probably put these verses up next week, it says that the Holy Spirit came and rested upon them, and then they did this thing. Like, the Spirit of God would come upon them and then they would speak this word. Uh, Even King Saul, we see the example when Samuel comes and he is uh, telling him that he's going to be king. And he says, this is how you're going to know that this is true. That you're going to go to this place and the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to prophesy. There was this visitation of the Holy Spirit coming upon and resting upon. And when that would happen, they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, where the Holy Spirit is, there is power. When the Holy Spirit is present, it empowers frail, fragile, incomplete humanity to step into something greater. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and, and there is power. This is what is in operation. And, and we have to see that God operated in the Old Testament by putting His Spirit upon the leaders of that time. There's this amazing story found in Numbers chapter 11. I just want to recap it real quick. Moses is with the people of Israel, and he's frustrated. And he's like, God, why did you stick me with these people? Like normally he's the one that's interceding on Israel's behalf. But he's like, God, I why did you do this? And so long story made short, God says, okay, go and get, I believe it was 70 leaders. And I want you to take them and to appoint them. And I'm going to place my spirit upon them. So there was a problem that Moses couldn't do it on his own. So the solution is that God puts his spirit upon them. And you know what the result of it was? Was that they all prophesied. That very clearly the Spirit of God comes upon them and it says they begin to prophesy right away. And Joshua comes up because there's, there's two individuals that continue to prophesy. And he's like, Moses, we, we got to stop them. And he's like, do we really? And Moses says, do we really want to shut down the Holy Spirit speaking? No, we're not going to do this. We, I, I wish that everybody would prophesy. This is Moses speaking in the Old Testament. This was the reality of the Holy Spirit. Old Testament or new. Holy Spirit is present. There's the ability to tap into something and to speak out of a greater reality. I encourage you to read the, the story. It's a pretty amazing one. But we go into the New Testament. We go into the ministry of Jesus. And we know the story in Luke 9. He sends out the 12 disciples. And it says in Luke 9 verses 1 and 2, He called out the 12 together and he gave them the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. The word gave here is the Greek word didomi, which means to offer, to put, and to place. So once again, Jesus is placing something upon them to go out and to do something through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It happens again in Luke 10 where he sends out the 72 and he appoints the 72 and he sends them out two by two to go into every place that he was going to go into. Once again, he empowers them. He places the Spirit upon them to go out to accomplish the specific task. But then we get to Luke 24, and we read the words of Jesus, and this is after he has risen from the dead, and he appears to them, and he gives them this instruction. Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So as I read this, I see Jesus saying, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. I'm placing something upon you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This appears to be two different aspects. I'm placing something upon you, but then make sure that you wait because there is something greater that is coming. It was that there was something being placed on you, but now you are going to be clothed. You are going to be wrapped in. You are going to be filled with something greater. See, this Greek word here is the Greek word enduo. Once again, it means to be clothed. It's the sense of, of sinking into a garment. It's, it's putting something on. It's, it's having something completely envelop you. It's a different picture than something being placed on, though, because it is a more thorough picture. And, and what I've heard it said is that this word actually means it's this picture of putting something on like the Holy Spirit 
is actually putting us on like a glove. Like he's, he's taking us as humanity and he is, he is so filling us that he is now in us to operate through us. Th- this in duo of the spirit. There was a time where the Holy Spirit would come on you, but now he is going to be in you. He's going to live through you that, that he is meant to be like, you won't be able to separate, separate the two anymore. This is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit when we step into the full reality of what Jesus had done, restoring all that had been broken and separated from the garden and bringing us back into this place of complete connection with Him. You see, there was something very significant about what took place on the day of Pentecost, and we we know this. It was a marking moment for the church that through all that Jesus had done, that they would now have the Holy Spirit residing and living inside of them. Do you know that we are living in the continuation of what Jesus has done and the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of those who would believe and call upon the name of Jesus? We as humanity were impaired by sin and earthly flesh and we could never fulfill what God had designed for us to do. But through Jesus, paying the price as the pure and the spotless lamb, he reconnected us to the spirit of God. You see, we know Jesus, he paid the price to connect us back to God, but it was never meant to be limited to just a new identity. I think back to the, pro- the parable of the prodigal son, where the son goes out. He lives foolishly and recklessly, and he comes back to his senses, and he says, if I was just to come back to my father's house and just to be a servant, I would live so much better than this. And he comes back with this low expectation of what it is to come back into his father's house. But what does the father do? He chases down, he, he puts on him a ring and a robe and he gives him a feast and he restores him back to the place that was originally in place before he had messed it up. Do we see that in Christ, it's not just that we get to humbly come back and, and we do and we repent for all that we have done, but when we come before him, it's not just that he says, okay, you can live on the outskirts of my kingdom now. You could just come and you can stay in the guest room. You can just be around me now. No, he comes and he restores us back to the place that he spoke over humanity before the foundations of the world. That in your life, that there was something that God spoke over you. And when you returned back to him, when you said yes to him, it wasn't just that you get to call yourself a Christian now. It's that you get to walk in the new identity and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you. We have to recognize the fullness of this because I'm just so aware of the shame that so many walk in and the guilt and and the sadness of our past and all that we have done. And we come in and we just accept this low-level identity in, in the body of Christ. That's not who Jesus is. He was never satisfied with just to bring us back to salvation. It was that we would be empowered to walk in the identity that He died to give back to us. Our expectation has to be brought to a new level. 
Our ability to understand the heart of the Father needs to be brought to a, a greater level of understanding who we are in Him and what that now means. The giftings that He has designed us to walk into, not so we can look at ourselves and think how great we are, but to understand that, that what He has now given to us, He desires for us to give to others and to empower and to equip the body of the believers, to equip the saints. So much is given, much is expected, and we have all been given much. We need to be aware of what it means to walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, not, not so we can feel good about ourselves, not so we can prove to ourselves that He still loves us, but to show the world, to show our brothers and sisters, to equip, to build up, to empower them to walk in the fullness of the reality of who He is. See, we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. We referenced it, but suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter steps into this anointing, he preaches, he prophesies, he connects with what God has said, and the result is that 3,000 are brought into the place of knowing Jesus on that very day. So the question that we have to ask once again after we've looked at what prophecy is, is who is meant to prophesy? So Peter, when he says this once again, and, and I know we're returning to this, verse 17, it says, In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and the result is going to be that your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. And I'm going to pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the question I have to ask, and I do it intentionally, so you have to have an answer who is it that is empowered to prophesy? All flesh. In the Old Testament, it was the priests and it was the kings and it was those who walked in the office of a prophet. And we'll get into that again in, in the future of what the office of the prophet looks like. But what is it that we were called to do? We were all flesh. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And just in case you don't believe me, we're going to read a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to do what? To prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. In this context, what is, what is it to quench the Spirit? It's to despise prophecy. It's to not walk in the gift that God has given to us. This is not something that he throws out there as just kind of a teaser. Like, okay, everyone earnestly desire prophesy, and like one out of every ten, I'm going to give you the ability to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do that. He said, I want you all to prophesy. This is the word of God. Which I just want to be clear about this. When I read these, these verses to earnestly desire to prophesy, I don't take this as a suggestion. 
I don't take this as a good idea. If you get to such a height in Christianity, then you should think about this new opportunity for advancement, and maybe then you should prophesy. He said, I want you all to earnestly desire what it is to prophesy. There's a quote from Sam Storms, uh, this book I'm reading, uh, Understanding Spiritual Gifts, and he says, what we're reading in Acts 2, verses 17 through 21 is a description of what the Holy Spirit does in and through God's people throughout the entire course of this present age. Prophecy is designed by God to be a normative experience for all God's people in the age in which we live as we await the return of the Lord. It's to be a normative experience for you all. Many of us would look at any of the gifts of the Spirit and say, that's not normal. But it's called to be something that we are much more aware of and, and willing to pursue God and to understand that when the Holy Spirit is in us, He desires to operate through us. And, and there is so much more that He has empowered us to do that He has already equipped us to do. Now, uh, I'll just answer, ask this question and answer this question. Does this mean we're all called to be prophets? No. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine through 30 says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Are all of us supposed to walk in the same giftings as everybody else? Are we meant to walk in this? We're going to talk next week about the difference between gifting and calling and anointing. But we're not all called to be prophets. We're not all called to be pastors. We're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to walk in these things. But it doesn't stop it from being true that we are all called to operate in the gifts that God has given to us and to the church. Which means we are called to walk in prophecy. So what does it look like to earnestly desire to prophesy? Once again, I I believe it's so important to remember what prophecy is. It's coming to an awareness of what God is saying or revealing for the building up, the encouragement, and the consolation of the body. It's coming into an awareness that as the Holy Spirit now dwells within us, that our connection to the source has now been restored and we have the ability to perceive what God is saying, what He's doing, what He's wanting to say. It's not that I want to lessen the gift of prophecy in any way, by any means, but I think that we need to to recalibrate what we think about when we think about prophecy. Because God, in all that He did through Jesus to restore us back, was to bring us back into a place of relationship. What's one of the most important, if not the most important part of being in a relationship? Communication. It's being able to speak. It's being able to hear. What does God want to do in our relationship with Him? He wants to restore to us the ability to hear Him, to communicate with Him, to be in such relationship where we can perceive what He's saying, what He's doing, where He's leading us. When we think about prophecy, we just need to go back to relationship. And it doesn't mean that you're going to hear the same way that I hear. 
It doesn't mean that you're going to see words written on the wall like we see with Daniel. We're not going to necessarily see the the same things and and see visions. Some of us will see visions. Some of us will dream dreams. Some of us will hear words in our spirit. Some of us will walk into a room and just know that God is leading us to something because we can sense it because that's the way that he communicates with us. To walk in prophecy does not mean that, that we stand up every morning, thus saith the Lord, and give a, a 10 minute, you know, revelation that we've just received. It's relationship with our perfect Father who loves us. For some of us, that's going to develop further because there is the, the calling of being a prophet. For others, it's going to develop into different ways. But what this is, it's a journey. It's an experience. It's understanding first we've been equipped and then allowing the supervisor to come with us and to understand we're not going to do it all perfect. We're not going to get every word right. But we're going to trust that God, our Father, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, is going to lead us and guide us. He's going to help us to grow, to learn the greater understanding of what He's saying, to hear His voice clearly. This is part of relationship with God. But it doesn't happen if we leave the Holy Spirit on the bench. It doesn't happen if we disconnect ourselves from the reality of what He wants to do because we're more aware of our failures and our shortcomings than we are of His goodness and His love and His grace. This relationship is meant to be the normative thing in our life where each day we wake up. Romans 8. What's next, Papa? What, what are you leading us to next? What are you saying to me in this time? Is there somebody in my life that as I'm praying for them, you want to show me something? You want to reveal something to me? You want to give me a word that I could share with them? doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be this, you know, in the King's Greek or the King James Version and, and sound a certain way. What is God saying? Are we taking the time to listen? We need to come out of agreement with the voice of accusation and disqualification. The fear that disconnects us from the reality of who we are in Him. And once again, embrace the identity of who God is as our loving Father.